Reasons why Jesus came in the flesh is our title this morning. As the Christian community around the world, we pause at this time of the year to remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know there will be all kinds of arguments that are there as to the accuracy of the date. There will be those who will say all kinds of things about that. However, what no one can deny is that the birth of Christ is a historical fact. But it also, unfortunately, on a day like this one, the centrality of the birth of Christ seems not to be the focus of our modern-day culture. People are more aware and emphasize more on spending time with family, eating special meals, giving presents. As much as all those things are important and we should encourage people to do that, but unfortunately the real purpose of the birth of Christ evades us. And this is why today I'd like to bring our minds back to the reasons why Jesus came in the flesh. Because the birth of Jesus was orchestrated by God himself. God orchestrated a plan that spanned over hundreds of years. Many Bible scholars believe that there's more than 300 prophecies that spoke about the coming of Christ. And Jesus himself fulfilled more than 300. One scholar says it's almost like 350 prophecies. His birth was prophesied. His birth was a historical fact. I'm going to read as a main text Luke chapter 2, just five verses. We'll also go to other verses together as we explore our topic today. And I'm reading from the NIV Bible. It reads as follows. In those days, Caesar Augustus issues a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Make a note of that. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was blessed to be married to him, and she was expecting a child. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. I want to take you through several of those verses as our background that we're going to work with. And from these verses, I'd like to show a number of things there. One being that God knows how to weave and interweave history. In this instance, it was the history of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, God knows how to weave and interweave your history. And certain things, when they happen, we may have one understanding on the one hand, but you find that on the other hand, God's purpose and God's intention is totally different to what we observe. Secondly, we will note how what God has promised will never fall to the ground. 
anything God has spoken over your life will not fall to the ground. For as long as you are alive and you are still on earth, it is just a matter of time. Thirdly, we will also note that there are times when God will in some way inconvenience us, interrupt the flow of our lives to put us in the center of his will. There are times when things don't happen the way we want, at the time that we want. And in spite of all the efforts, you find our efforts are null and void, and that's because God somehow is involved somewhere to try and orchestrate things. We note here that a decree went out. A decree is simply an official word or an, or, or an official command. It was an official decree in this time issued by the Roman Senate. The world and a good part of the world at this time was under the Roman Empire. They had been conquered by the Romans and they were therefore under the Roman rule. And the Romans at this time sent out this decree. The, the King James Bible says the decree went out to the entire world. But when you read properly, what it means or the reference is that this decree went exclusively to all the lands that the Roman Empire had conquered. And all the inhabitants in these lands were to obey this decree. This decree was that a census should be taken. The King James says people had to go to their areas to be taxed, and I'll explain that. In these translations, what they, are actual, what they actually mean is that people had to have a census, and it is from the census that they could determine the taxation. So the Roman officials wanted to know how many people were living in the Roman Empire. Because during the reign of Caesar Augustus, the territory of the Romans had doubled. And for that reason, they wanted to conduct this census so as to determine a tax basis for the entire Roman Empire. So we note, therefore, that for that to happen, people had to go to their original hometowns. And they had to go there to be registered. As you know, we have been registering for elections. And you have to register in a specific place because you belong to a specific area, a specific region. The same thing happened in these days. People had to go to their hometowns, original hometowns, to be registered and thus taxed. Therefore, Joseph and Mary had to go back to their hometown, which was Bethlehem. This was God's plan to connect the dots, to get Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem because years before, thousands of years before, a prophecy had gone out through the prophet Micah. And we find this prophecy in Micah 5 verse 2 where it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old from ancient times. See, Bethlehem, actually at this time we are told, it was a very small city of about 150 to 450 people. Really not much was happening there. And as a result, people like Mary and Joseph, who were the inhabitants of Bethlehem, had left this place where there was no action. They had settled in other regions. Therefore, there was really no compelling reasons for them to come to this small city, this small town, where nothing was happening. But God orchestrated that through the census, 
that they must go back to this small city so that the prophecy that happened many years ago can be fulfilled. Another reason why Mary and Joseph would really not have wanted to travel to Bethlehem is that Mary at this time was nine months pregnant. Why leave the region, go all the way to Bethlehem? I mean, for them to travel from Nazareth, where they were, to Bethlehem, having to walk in those days or ride a donkey, because that was the only means of transportation. It was a trip, we are told, that they could make in three days, but only for people who were physically in a good state of health. But for this woman, Mary, in her condition, it would take her about 10 to 12 days to make the trip. So God in his wisdom and in his foreknowledge inconvenienced Mary and Joseph, created a compelling reason for them to come all the way to Bethlehem so as to put them in the center of his will. And so God ensured that once they reached Bethlehem, they would register for the census, but then wait for the birth of the baby. thus making it unlikely for them to travel back to Nazareth. I want you to know this morning, that God is so much involved in your future. God knows so much about you that sometimes God will do whatever he needs to do. He will do whatever needs to be done to get you wherever you need to be in order to fulfill his purpose. Can we hear an amen in this house? And so sometimes God will inconvenience you for the bigger mission of getting you into his will to fulfill his prophecy. I always tell the story in my youth, you know, uh, when I was doing, uh, I always get confused, form three, standard eight. That's grade what? Grade 10. Could it move from form three to standard eight to grade 10? You know, uh, I, uh, and I actually uh, was chosen as one of the young people in a student exchange program. Uh, to go to America. And then you know, those days when, when you went to America for two days, when you came back, you couldn't speak Susu to anyone. <laughs> Anyhow, so you know, you. And, and you can imagine how excited I was, you know, that I was chosen for this exchange program. We had gotten this from our, the youth club that I used to go to. I really looked forward to it. And so when my parents were informed, uh, my parents says, we'll, said, we'll think about it. Okay. So they thought about it, and a few weeks later they said, no, you, you, you can't go. Eish, ne? Yeah, that's how I felt like eish. But remember those days, you can't say that to your parents. You remember those days, you don't ever answer your parents back. You don't say anything. You don't even say eish. You say eish when you're outside. You don't say it when you're next to them. And I was very unhappy, extremely unhappy. But in those days, you can't go to your parents and say, I hate you, you know, <laughs> like it happens today, you know. <laughs> Look at your neighbor who doesn't want to laugh and say, no, we're it. he's telling the truth. <laughs> and that was 1977 when that happened. 1978, which coincided with the period where I was supposed to be in America, on the 5th of August, 1978, that's the day I received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of my life. I remember that day. It was a Saturday. 
When I went to, my sister invited me to a gospel event that was hosted by Youth Alive. And I went to this gospel event, and it is in that gospel event where they presented the gospel and gave a compelling reason why I needed to be born again. And I received Christ. And so as I'm preaching now, it makes me emotional to think about it. That had it not been for that inconvenience, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So listen, ladies and gentlemen, there are times when you've done all that you can do. You've obeyed God, you've done all that's required, but things are not happening. It's not happening, bro. It's not happening. And as we say, Mosoweto, may I advise you, what's God for It could be that God is bringing an interruption for something greater. Oscar Foster. Yeah. Oscar Foster. So we see in these first two verses, God's wisdom and God's faithfulness in weaving the activities that surrounded the birth of Jesus Christ. We see how God orchestrated, moved situations around just for the fulfillment of his purpose. We also note that God can inconvenience us and interrupt our lives to put us at the center of his will. God can push you to a place where you will have God coincidences. And he knows that one God coincidence can change the rest of your life. One encounter can change the rest of your life. And so we know then Jesus Christ was born and he came in the flesh. Let me give you five reasons why Jesus came in the flesh. There's more than that, much more than that. But I'll give you these five. Number one, Jesus came in the flesh to fulfill the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. He came to fulfill what the law required, what the Psalms spoke about, and what the prophets declared. Let's look at that. With regards to the law, Jesus came to fulfill the law of morality. Human beings could not be able to satisfy the demands and the claims of the holiness of God. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, human beings broke the law of God. And in spite of them promising that they won't do it, they kept on doing it. And the law of God demanded that man must live in a holy way. And it's only living in a holy way that God could in turn put his blessings on mankind. But mankind failed miserably. But Jesus came to be our substitute and to fulfill the law in our place. And he fulfilled all the demands of a holy God. He came secondly to fulfill the law Typically or typically, I don't know how to say this one, so you'll forgive me. When you talk about a type or a shadow, these are events that happened in the Old Testament that were a figure of things to come, just like when you were walking in the sun and we see your shadow. The reason your shadow is there is because the real you is there. In the absence of the real you, we can't have the shadow. So in the Old Testament, we have a shadow of what was to come. But in the New Testament, we meet the real thing that was foreshadowed. We call it a type. 
So I don't know. Typically, typically, typing, type, whatever. You're not ill. Shadow, you're not ill. So Jesus came to fulfill the law. Typically, what do I mean? You'll know that in the Old Testament, there were many, many events that took place. Sacrifices, festivals, certain sanctuary services, the priesthood, all kinds of things that were done. Like this, the slaying of lambs, which was a type of Jesus, the true Lamb of God. We saw people celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, which was a sign of the true power of the Holy Spirit that was to come. So Jesus came to become the fulfillment of all of that. When he came, he became now the Lamb of God. There was no need anymore for people to slay the animals and use the blood of animals for the cleansing of their sin. Now we talk about the cleansing blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the, our Savior. Hallelujah. Thirdly, we know that, or B, as A is the law, B is the Psalms. Many of the Psalms, when you read them, Bible scholars say they are messianic. In other words, they focus on the Messiah. Many of the Psalms foretell the suffering of Christ. They talk about the glory that was to follow. So when he was born, he came for, for the fulfillment of that. See, the prophets, many of them, in their prophecies, they pointed to the coming of Christ, the coming of the Redeemer. And so when Jesus came, he became that. I mean, remember Isaiah, who shall believe our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before us like a tender plant, like a root that has no stem. It talks about how he was, there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. That he was, he, he died or rather he, he suffered for our, for our transgressions and took our transgressions. A man of sorrows. And all those prophecies were pointing to the one who is to come. So Jesus had to come and be born. And with the many prophecies that came, Jesus himself states in Matthew 5, 17, during his ministry, this is what he says to the people. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or abolish the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So we learn from this that what God has spoken will happen no matter how long it takes. Learn from that. Whatever God says in his word concerning your life. Whatever God says to you concerning a prophetic utterance. No matter how long it takes, God is not a man to lie. Hallelujah. God is not the son of man to change his mind. Not one word that God has spoken over your life will fall to the ground. Not one prophecy will fall to the ground. It may take long, but one day is one day. Can we hear an amen? It may take a long time, but it will be fulfilled. Secondly, Jesus was born in the flesh, number two, and I love this one, to give people a complete revelation of the character of God the Father. Note that when you read the Old Testament, you meet a God who is so fierce. One small touch, you are gone. And yet this is something that is hard for us as human beings to understand. How can a God who seems to be that fierce still be a good and loving God? So it's very hard for people to really understand the character of God. But how do you understand somebody who is in heaven and you are on earth? 
How do you understand somebody who functions in a different time zone, in a different sphere, on a different wavelength than you? How do you understand somebody whom your mind can never comprehend? Somebody who is, doesn't live within the confines of time. Somebody who created you. You know, as a child, I used to really like uh, 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 looking at nature. I still do, even now, you know. And I used to go around, what's kangeng? What's kangeng in English? Come on, help me, help me, help me. You know what kangeng is in English. Help me. What you, what you, what you? Is it the felt? Yeah, you know, because I, I, I always like to make things and as my mind as an engineer, pick up all kinds of things. So, you know, going in the felt back then, you know, there's lots of insects there, locusts, locusts, butterflies, ants, and then, of course, you've got other species like rats, like Mbiba. How many of you know Mbiba? Yeah, if they don't know what Mbiba is, just tell them, tell, tell, particularly... Okay, tell, tell, tell the, the Ama 2000 what the Mbiba is. They don't know. The Mbibas are not there anymore. You know? It's a field mice. All right. So, at home, there's a spot where there used to be a lot of ants, you know. And I'd actually lie on my belly and watch these ants. You know, just, just make sure they don't climb on you. You know, there's different kinds of ants. There's these smaller black ones that are in the house, you know, that like your sugar, you know, you know those ones that really, they have a sweet tooth. <laughs> if, if they have tooth, they like sugar. And then the, there's these gray ones. I don't know what they call them. I've never studied them. You know, these gray ones that you find outside. But there's these ones that like salt and they like bones and meat. I don't know what you call them. In other come on, come on, help me now. Come on, help me, help me, help me. All right, all right, all right. So <laughs> Now, these gray ones, they, they work so hard, and I would note that when, when the sun was very hot, they would become very, very edgy, and they would bite anything in their path. So I'd lie there as a child, looking at them, you know, and, and then you find now they were able to find an insect from somewhere. And, and, and you see a group of them, you know, pulling this insect towards the hole, you know. You know, many of them, some are pulling, some are on top of the thing, with their feet and you wonder what they're doing how are you gonna how what are you and they finally get to the hole you know and they struggle to pull this let, let's call it a butterfly or maybe it's a it's a grasshopper they're trying to bring this grasshopper into the hole the hole is too small and they're they are struggling and i'm lying there looking at these insects and you know a thought came to me but why don't they ask for my help <laughs> really I mean, I mean, my, why, why, why struggle? Because they, they don't even have to go look for food. I can go in the field and get them a juicy, nice grasshopper. And I can deliver it faster than McDonald's can deliver your food. But then I realized there's a problem between me and the ants. You see, we have a one, we have a serious communication problem. We, we, we're not the same species. They, they have a way of talking that I don't understand. I have a way of talking they don't understand. Even if I'm there, they don't understand what I can do. And sometimes when I'm angry, I'll kill them. And I'm sure they'll say, hey, this guy, hey, what will I? But at heart, I'm good. At heart, I can provide for them. The only way for me 
To be able to connect with the ants is to become an ant myself. Only way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so for God to reach out to humanity and help humanity understand who he is. Jesus had to become a man. The book of Philippians says he took on the form of a man and he became like one of us. Can I hear a good amen in the house? So Jesus became a man like the rest of us. That is why one day when he was talking to Philip, one of his disciples, and to the master of these disciples in John 14, verse 9, the second part, this is what he says. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What is it saying? Let's decode it for you. Jesus is saying, you've been wondering about the character of God, right? You've been wondering what God would do in a given situation? Okay, I don't want you to wonder anymore. Just watch what I do. Okay, because what I do, that's exactly what God would do. Mm, Jesus came to reveal the character of God. Watch it. Jesus treats the woman at the well who was ostracized by society. A woman who was a Samaritan that the Jews didn't have to want to have nothing to do with. When Jesus met this woman, whom we are told even society had kicked her out, Jesus took the time to talk to this woman. In talking to her, he doesn't start by quoting from the law of Moses. He doesn't start by presenting himself as a rabbi. He talks about everyday things about the water that this woman needed. And he tells her, I'm aware of your need and I want to meet your need. And when Jesus starts connecting with this woman on that level, the woman begins to open up. Only later does he understand that, hey, I am talking to the Messiah here. So we note God's attitude to those who are outcasts. If you've been thrown out by society and people have put a label on you, there's a God in heaven who loves you and who cares for you. There's a God in heaven who thinks differently about you. Can, can I hear a good amen in the house? There's a God in heaven who thinks differently about you. We note in Luke 23, 42, how Jesus dealt with the thief on the cross. A man who had been crucified because of the wrongs that he had done. He was suffering because of the crimes that he had committed and he had been sentenced to death. It's obvious that this man was not a religious man. It's obvious that this man was not a godly man. But on that last day, last few minutes before he died, he turns to Jesus Christ. And he said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, tonight I will remember you when I come into paradise. It shows us that when God comes in, it's never too late for God to change your situation. Some of you, you may be here, things may have gone wrong in your life. You may have done things that you don't like. People may be calling you all kinds of things. They may even tell you, or puts a sorter. But I'm here to tell you there's a God in heaven who says it's not too late for you. I said it's not too late for you no matter what you've done. It's not too late for you. It's amazing how people came to Jesus and their children were sick. Their family was sick. When people needed food, when people needed something, Jesus never turned anyone away. Which means there's a God in heaven who will not turn you away. 
Bible says he's a priest. Our high priest who is touched by the feelings of our infirmity. Jesus looks at you and says, I can feel you. I can feel you. Jesus feels your pain. He is aware of your struggles. And he's moved by it. Jesus goes to meet with Zacchaeus, a man who was a tax collector. Disliked by his community because he worked for the Roman government being a Jew. And so they labeled him and called him sellout. And tax collectors those days were known not to be great people. They used to take bribes. They were a corrupt group. And Jesus, to the fury of his disciples, in spite of it, decides to go to the house of Zacchaeus. And when he goes to the house of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, on the other hand, something is brewing in his heart. Being at home. He's not aware that Jesus is heading his way. He only hears this noise coming in the direction of where he lives. And he gets the story that it's Jesus who is there. And Zacchaeus, wrong as he was, evil as he was, corrupt as he was, there was something on the inside of him. That was crying out for God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And in him crying out for God, he felt all right. I'm not going to get into the crowd because they know how corrupt I am. Someone might just do something to me. I'll make sure that I sneak up and get up on a tree. On a sycamore tree. Sycamore tree has got very thick leaves. And when you get into the sycamore tree, it's very difficult for people to even know you are in the tree. And not only that, he was uh, horizontally disadvantaged. He was short. I'm trying to be politically correct. It's vertical, isn't it? He was vertically disadvantaged. And so what does he do? He climbs up on the tree and sits in the tree. But you see, Jesus was no ordinary man. <laughs> he walked in the power of God. He walked in the wisdom of God. He walked in the knowledge of God. One day when he was talking to his disciples, he says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he's saying, listen, even if Abraham came before me, I was there before Abraham. I am outside the realm of time. So Jesus already knew, even before Zacchaeus went up on the tree, Jesus already knew that Zacchaeus was going to go up on the tree. So as Jesus is walking down the road, the minute he comes to the sycamore tree, he stops and he stands. Everybody is wondering, what Hanan know? And Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down. For today, salvation is coming to your home. Oh, Hallelujah. He's a God who goes after those that society has ostracized. He's a God who knows that even bad people can change and become good people. That's why Jesus came. He came to show us the attitude of God. Can I hear an amen? And the Bible says, and Zacchaeus came immediately and went to the house and go read it. Go read the story. It's in 
it's, it's in the book of Luke. I didn't write it down. I think it's Luke chapter 16. And when he finally came, Luke 19, when he finally came to the house of Zacchaeus, listen to the words of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus immediately, because grace has been shown to him. You know, it's amazing how wrong people, evil people, when they meet the love of God, it just blows them away. Oh, are you here, church people? We should learn not to be judgmental of people. Can I hear an amen? Of course, we, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we must challenge things. We must ask questions. We must not allow certain things, but we must also remember that God can change people that we think can never change. And Zacchaeus says, Lord, I just want you to know of everything that I have, I give a tenth and I give gifts to others. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to your home. Uh, when Jesus steps into your house, when Jesus steps into your home, no matter what was wrong, it's able to turn right. And Jesus only needs only one person to become the one who will open the door. Only one person who will be the door that facilitates the game changing. Because changes everything. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, well, you've been wondering what God would do. This is what God would do. This is what God would do. And then we see Jesus, how children used to warm up to him. And they ran to him and he embraced them. How women, even those that society didn't like, came up to him had conversations with him. Remember the woman who came with the alabaster box and poured it on the feet of Jesus. And in those days, Jesus being a rabbi was not supposed to be touched by ordinary people, much less a woman in those days. What about the woman who was brought to Jesus, who was caught in adultery? And the religious leaders, in their hypocrisy, were saying Jesus must kill the woman. The law says she must be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus' attitude towards children and women is that they don't need to be abused. You can't abuse them. You should not abuse them. And we see Jesus doing that. Let me close for the sake of time. When we become an extension of the love of God, particularly we who profess the name of Christ. See, the world doesn't see God. It doesn't know God. Can't touch him. Can't connect with him like those ants couldn't connect with me. But you and me, we're God's children. And the only way for the world to know about God and his love. It will be seen in how we treat people in our world. Sometimes we preach too much. And yet we need to do too much. A sermon should be in our good deeds of love and understanding. And reaching out to others. That's the only way the world will understand God. In a recent funeral I attended of a minister by the name of Sam Daza. Incredible man. I was moved to the core by the testimony of someone who came up on stage 
who was in the speaker lineup. This man's story is as follows. He was in jail because he had murdered two people. He was in maximum prison, maximum sentence given. I don't know what the conditions were around his sentencing, but it happened several years ago. But he still had many, many, many more years wherein he needed to serve out his term. And this man says, in jail, particularly back then, in the apartheid years, it was a very hostile environment. And we knew that society doesn't want to have anything to do with us. Let me say it in the words he said, Abantu nyanya. And of course, we had committed crime. We deserved it. He said, but I was surprised one day comes this man to the maximum prison and he starts not preaching to us but spending time with us and at the end preached to us. And he said, because I was a hardened criminal, I despised this man. He says, but what got me is in that year on Christmas Day, that man paid us a visit. And for 30 years, he visited us every Christmas. He says, see, Christmas time, we're all alone here in jail. Nobody comes to us. Nobody remembers that we're human. Yes, we've done wrong, but we're still human. And he says, what changed me wasn't really this man's preaching. Was that for 30 years he visited us. On the 10th year of his visit, I started listening to him. I started listening to his sermon. And when I received Christ as Savior and Lord of my life, this man talked to me and what I liked about him, he said to me, now that you're a Christian, it has to show in the way you live for it. He said, I enrolled in a program in jail. I started studying. I even went to Bible school through correspondence. And this man, as he stood there, now he's a minister of the gospel. He's out of jail. He has a family. Come on now. I think we can thank God for that. We can thank God for that. When God comes to the level of people, when John writes about Jesus, he says, that which we saw, our hands have handled, full of grace and full of mercy. In other words, he said, when we stretched out our hands to God in the flesh, when we touched God in the flesh, what oozed out of him was love and mercy and compassion. I want to ask us, can the world feel the love and the mercy and the compassion in us who call ourselves God's children? Can your family today, no matter what they've done, no matter how wrong they are, no matter what evil they've committed, can you at least once today extend the hand of love and care? That's the Christmas story. God who comes in the flesh to change the humanity and the lives of people. A God who never judges.
A God who reaches out. My favorite verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish and have eternal life. Some of you are here today, you've been invited or you've come on your own. And as yet you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ to receive him as your Savior and Lord. Yeah, I will accept. Sometimes we have misrepresented what the gospel is about. And sometimes we become the biggest hindrance for people coming into the kingdom of God. But today you've heard God's word. You've heard how Jesus came in the flesh and the reason he came is to reach out to you. In fact, he said himself, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. You are here today. You look at your life. It's really not pleasing before God. It's a life that's torn. It's a life that's going through many things. But Jesus Christ would love to reach out to you in the same way he reached out to others. He might not be here in person, but he's here in the person of the Holy Spirit. Because he said, if two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. And right where you are, if you say, Bishop, I really want to receive Christ as Savior and Lord of my life. I want him to change me and make me a child of God. Would you please pray for me? I really would love to pray for you. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes, everybody, as we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, please pray for me. Maybe you are like Zacchaeus. We don't know. Maybe you've been ostracized. Maybe you are at a stage in your life where you just don't know how to stop doing what you're doing, but you're desperate. You need God's help, just like Zacchaeus. It's not too late. It's never too late with God. He wants to change your life. If you say, please pray for me, I want to receive Christ in my life. I hear about eyes closed. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Raise your hands. Please pray for them silently where you are. I ask you, please, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. No one is here to judge you. We understand ourselves. Jesus changed our lives ourselves. Just raise your hand, please, where you are. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. May I ask the people who raise their hands, would you kindly please stand on your feet right where you are? Just stand on your feet, please. Would you stand on your feet? Thank you so much.